This is Greg Lazinski, and you're listening to Baseball BBQ. to a very special episode, a holiday episode. It's episode 113 of Baseball and Barbecue. I'm here with the Santa Claus of all Baseball and Barbecue <laughs> hosts, Jeff Santa Claus Cohen. And I'm here with <laughs> one of the elves, <laughs> Leonard <laughs> Averman. <laughs> as long as I'm not a Grinch, that's okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff. You know, it's I, I don't realize, let me ask you this, when we don't record, it's no mystery, it's, it's no secret that it's been, we missed a week, you know, it was Thanksgiving, we, we didn't, uh, actually we had an episode before that, but we didn't record, I miss it, I really do, Yeah. you know, so I really, I, I find that as I'm listening to the interviews that we're going to be releasing on this episode, I really miss it. What about you? Yeah, but fasten your seatbelts because we're doing a lot of recordings for the rest of the month. So fasten your seatbelts. Fasten them tight. Yes. Let's let's talk about first of all, I I open we we open with the holiday song that that song, just Charlie Brown Christmas, you know, and that but that song just really represents the holidays. And I think it's going to be a very happy holiday. For the Hodges family. Would you like yes. to uh, explain? Congratulations to the Hodges family. Gil Hodges finally voted into the Hall of Fame from one of the veterans committees. And it, it was just a, uh, a joy to see him go in. A lot of people were pushing for him, including you and I on this podcast, mm-hmm. including some of our friends in the podcast world. Yes. Stan, Mike and Rich of the Metsian podcast, Gary Mack of BitMix Musings. We've interviewed some of the players. We've interviewed Gil Hodges' daughter. And it was just very gratifying that some of that effort paid off. And I'm, I'm sure our, our podcast had a lot to do with him getting Hall of Fame. Oh, I'm sure it pushed it, <laughs> pushed it over the edge, of course. But we that did get the word saying. Look, we did the word out that it was listened to all over the world via social media, was sent to the Hall of Fame. So maybe they listened to it. Maybe they didn't. But 
we, we, you know, he's in the Hall of Fame, and that's all that matters. So congratulations to the Hodges family. Long overdue. Yeah. And we, we had Irene Hodges on, and I know now that she is a loyal listener to this show. What a special person. Just, yes. Irene, we, we really think you're the best. Congratulations. It's, it's just, we're sorry that you had to wait so long for it to happen. But it's nice that something that was wrong for so long has finally been righted. If that's the way to even say it. Yes, but. and the Hall of Fame is a better place because Gil Hodges is going to be inducted come summer 2022 in, into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Absolutely. Absolutely. And not only that, Jeff, we also know that Buck O'Neill, formerly of the uh, Negro Baseball League, mm-hmm. and Bud Fowler. Bud Fowler, yes. Okay. Are both also going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. Along with Minnie Minoso, mm-hmm. who's no longer with us. But we, we have two living uh, Hall of Famers. Jim Cott has been uh, voted in, and along with Tony Oliva of the Minnesota Twins. So that was great to see. So there'll be at least six people voted in through the Veterans Committees into the Baseball Hall of Fame come summer 2022. And right now, as of this recording, the writer's ballot of the Hall of Fame is going on now. So we'll see what that brings. Yes, we will. But either no matter what happens with that, we know that it's going to be a great ceremony. Absolutely. Come July 24th of 2022. In Cooperstown, New York. Well said. Yes. Tonight, uh, tonight, today, whenever you're listening to this, of course, we're recording in the evening. So I say tonight. We have two interviews that will you guys will really enjoy. But the but the one that I think you guys are going to really love. Well, let me really love. Let me just say this. Go ahead. Go ahead. We're recording on December 9th. We're a week into the baseball lockout, and who knows how long that will last. Fortunately, I think it's going to last longer than most people think. But we want to bring some joy during this lockout. So we have with us, I'm going to give a little impression, and you're going to tell us who it is. Okay? Here it goes. Oh, I'm ready for this. Jeff is going to do an impression. This is a rarity, so let's go. (laughs) Whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) Who is that, Len? That that was one of the three stooges. <laughs> but it also is a famous okay. mascot. Yes, it is the San Diego chicken. I don't yes. know why I sang that, but yes, Ted Giannalis. Jeff, boy, was he good. Oh, <laughs> it was great. <laughs> oh, I I listened to that because I, I liked it. You know, I always like to 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 be prepared when we come on and just and just he it was fantastic i i mean just talking reminiscing and and just everything that he talked about in this interview guys he talks about working with ted williams on the baseball bunch ozzy smith he, he talks about andre dawson the hawk and he says the hawk and the chicken <laughs> he there were so many hall of famers on that baseball oh, yeah. bunch and he's <laughs> The famous Tommy Lasorda story. Yeah. Oh, I mean, he's almost responsible for ending <laughs> it for Tommy Lasorda many years early. Oh, 
And uh, he he almost caused a national uh, with Russia. He almost caused an, an uh, incident. He, he almost yeah, an incident with Russia. I just I, I don't want to say any more about it. You guys, one of the most entertaining yes. interviews I think we've had on this show. Yes. I think you're really going to like it. And who else? And then, of course, we have Randall Thompson of Dugout Mugs. Holiday exactly. season, gift-giving season. Yes, and he will talk about what they have to offer. Jeff, you own one of the Dugout Mugs. I do. And you bought it. You actually purchased it. It was not a gift. Nope. They are beautiful. We will speak to him. But he was not funny. <laughs> Ted was the funny one. I should put it that way. Ted was very funny and, and just... Just a pleasure. And 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 then you guys listen to the whole interview through because at the end, I forgot that he said something about chickens and barbecue that you will really find funny. So enjoy. We'll talk to you when the interview's over. Here is the San Diego chicken, Ted. Whoa, 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 whoa. Our guest has played with some of the greatest players in Major League Baseball and yet has never pitched a single ball or had an official plate appearance in a game. When it comes to bringing joy to fans of sports, whether it's baseball, hockey, basketball, or football, this is someone who is in a league of their own. For more than 40 years, we have had the pleasure of watching this truly great and creative entertainer. We are extremely honored, and I mean extremely honored, to welcome Ted Giannolis, a.k.a. the San Diego Chicken, to baseball and barbecue. Welcome, Ted. We couldn't be happy to have you. Yeah, bark, 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 bark. Uh, Leonard <laughs> and Jeff, thank you very much for having me on. I'm, I'm honored by the very kind words you've, uh, you've said. Thank you. Jeff, the list of... All right, I don't even know where to begin. So okay, I'm just, I'll, be, I'll, let me, I'll begin. I'll no, begin. no, I'm going to start. No, okay. I'm going to start. Okay. I'm going to start. I'm just going to say... To all of our listeners, if you want to start to see the creativity and the genius of this guest, you have got to watch YouTube. You will spend hours on YouTube. You will laugh until you will wet your pants. You seriously will. All right, Jeff, please go ahead. Okay. Well, thank you, Ted, for joining us. Uh, yeah, Len said it right. I mean, you've been entertaining us for so, so many years. It's been just a pleasure watching and a pleasure to talk to you. I have a question. I'm going to start off with this. You definitely one of the best mascots of all time, and you actually went to the same high school as one of the best hitters of all time, Ted yes. Williams. <laughs> yes. What a coincidence. Uh, you, but you were born in Canada, so how did you make your way down to uh, San Diego? Yes, I was born in London, Ontario, and uh, born to Greek immigrant parents. And uh, about 1969, I immigrated to, to uh, San Diego with, with my parents. My dad had come down uh, to visit uh, my godparents here, and he fell in love uh, with the city, the weather especially, and of course the ocean. It all reminded him of his native Athens. And he went back, told my mom, he says, we, we got to move there. Now, he came down here in the mid-60s. So we applied, waited for our green cards, finally got them. And we moved down here in 69 uh, as a result. And, and just, uh, I, I tell you, it's the, the, the weather here is different than the rest of the weather, even in California. 
And, and so that's how we settled in San Diego. And I went to Hoover High School, of all things. I was, uh, we lived in the neighborhood, so uh, I was assigned to Hoover High School. And there in the hallway, a gigantic picture of Ted Williams in his rookie year uh, in Boston. And, uh, it, and being a big baseball fan, I was pretty excited, needless to say. <laughs> the great Ted Williams walked these very halls and even spoke to some of these teachers. Unbelievable. And so um, it was, it was cr- quite a, a moving uh, a moment for an impressionable Canadian kid at the time uh, being at, the, at Hoover. So, yeah, it was a, a, quite a surreal experience, to say the least. As the chicken, did you ever have uh, dealings, interactions with Ted Williams? Yes, believe it or not. I did a TV show with Johnny Bench. We co-hosted a, a program in the uh, uh, early to mid-80s called The Baseball Bunch. Love kid it, show, yes. Saturday morning kid show. Mm-hmm. And uh, it won three Emmy Awards, by the way, I'm proud to say. And so Ted Williams loved that show so much that he voluntarily called up the producers and asked if he could be on the program. Needless to say, we went nuts. And so he came and paid a visit. And you got to know, Ted Williams back in the day refused to even do interviews. And so for him to say, I want to be a part of that show, he came on. He couldn't have been more gracious, more kind, and, and great with the kids and told great stories. And, of course, inside baseball. And, and Johnny was just out of his mind. Ted Ted Williams was here on the little league field that we were shooting this uh, this uh, show on, and so it was really something. And I got to talk to Ted <laughs> and uh, got a couple of autographs on baseballs, by the way, and uh, told him I was from Hoover and uh, told him how proud uh, Hoover must be that they had a Hall of Famer and also a Hall of Shamer, uh, you know, <laughs> who walked the same halls. <laughs> Did, it, did he ever see your, you out of costume? Yes. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. uh-huh. And when we were uh, off camera and off the set, yeah, he was absolutely great. I mean, he loved the show, and he loved Johnny. And and for those who don't know, we would have a, a featured guest every week on the program, uh, normally uh, a contemporary ball player, uh, an all-star uh, usually. And, uh, and they would come on and talk about their positions and uh, and stories growing up and 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 so forth. And then and the show would teach kids the proper techniques to baseball. And so um, and so Ted and I, as Ted was a guest uh, on that one week, and yeah, we talked, and uh, it was very very exciting for everyone, including the kids who weren't quite sure at the time who Ted Williams was, but they were filled in. And obviously got uh, uh, pretty excited. And I got to say, it, it, Ted did not like signing autographs, but I don't recall him declining a single moment on that set for anyone who wanted an autograph. That's great. You know, we, we bounce a lot uh, around a lot on this show. And if we were doing it the right way, we should go to the beginning and how you started. And But if I don't concentrate right now on the baseball bunch, I know that this interview will go by. And I'll never get back to it. So <laughs> the Baseball Bunch YouTube is such a great resource. I was watching an episode with Ozzy Smith. Mm. And it was the Wizard of Oz. And he was teaching. He actually was, was teaching how to field ground balls. He, he was teaching this kid 
have the glove go forward instead of taking a ground ball and having your glove go back on the ground, go forward. And what a great tip that was. And then the next thing you know, he used his magic and there was a wall. And you were on one side of the wall yeah. and you you had a step ladder and you were trying to get over the wall. Yes. It was a riot. How was you were on that show with all these greats? I mean, Johnny Bench, Ozzy Smith, like you said, Ted Williams. I know Gary Carter was on that show. Yep. And on and on. It must have been as a as a baseball fan, it must have just been an incredible experience. To like you said, Ted Williams, great to be with. What was it like to be with all of these uh, the players? Just amazing, just amazing. Cal Ripken was on there. Pete Rose, Mike Schmidt, Raleigh Fingers. These are a who's who of of the day, and and it got to be such a popular show among baseball people that everyone wanted to be on it. The only guy we didn't get, unfortunately, for the program. Uh, was Reggie Jackson. And Reggie, uh, at the time, believe it or not, wanted more money than the show was paying. And the show was only paying an honorarium to all of these stars showing up. And uh, and uh, the production just didn't have it. And, and so uh, that's he was the only guy that really uh, declined being on the program. But everyone else was it was just amazing that they would come on i'll tell you a little side story andre dawson was the only superstar who came on the program that knew every line in in the script that was sent to him okay bless his heart he knew every line the hawk it was the hawk versus the chicken one episode <laughs> and, and, uh, and he knew Every line in the script, because normally when these players show up, they have a general overview. The script is sent to them and they have a general overview and the line is fed to them, you know, uh, during um, uh, off camera and they know it and then they know what to do. And some of it was ad libbed as well. But Andre, <laughs> Andre would know everything. And uh, we were so pleased that 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 taping went really quick. <laughs> and but but all the players uh, were fantastic and wanted to be on the program. And it was a, a, a truly a special show. And that show that you mentioned about Aussie, that one, that was one of the programs that won an, an Emmy Award for us uh, uh, that year. And, you know, I got to tell you one more thing. So many players in pro ball were, were watching that show that they would come up to me when I would go visit uh, and, and do a game in some of the uh, of these stadiums across the country, be it major league or minor league. And they would tell me, uh, one pitcher told me, uh, I remember, a triple-A pitcher, and I forget who it was, down in, uh, in uh, Rochester, New York, uh, for, at the time, triple-A team for the Baltimore Orioles. He told me how much he appreciated the show with Tom Seaver because watching that show, uh, Tom Seaver talk about when you deliver the pitch, make sure your elbow is above your shoulder blade and you'll get more uh, spin, more emphasis, more control on the pitch that you want. And the pitcher was telling me that he did not know that. No pitching coach had ever told him that. And when he started doing it, it worked for him. So, you know, let alone that kids were watching on Saturday morning, but also <laughs> professional ball players were too. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Ted, 
you know, let's go back to the beginning. I think a lot of people are under the impression that you were actually first hired as the from the San Diego Padres, which which isn't true. You actually started as a uh, radio station employee from uh, KGB Radios, correct? That's right. That's right. I was uh, just a fan in the grandstand and attending all these games, uh, and basically being a mascot for a, a radio station. Started in 1974. And it was just a one-week promotional gimmick, basically, just for me to dress up in a chicken suit and go to the zoo and give away candy Easter eggs. And they literally, no pun intended, plucked me off the campus of San Diego State. You know, at the time, nobody wanted to do this detail that they rented a chicken suit. Nobody wanted to wear it at the station. So they dispatched a representative to the campus at San Diego State with the thought, just find the first kid that'll agree to do this for two bucks an hour and we'll be done. And by happenstance, the guy asked me if I wanted to do it for two bucks an hour. And I, yeah, no problem. Happy to do it. The way I was looking at it, fellas, was just to get my foot in the door at a real radio station and then hopefully work my way up. If they asked me to empty trash cans or shine records, I would have said yes to that too. So, but uh, want, wear a chicken suit? Okay, great. So I go and I give away the candy Easter eggs at the at the gate to all, everybody, you know, coming in. And then after my one-week stint was done, I figured with the Padres starting up and all the excitement of Ray Kroc being uh, an owner in his first year and promising to turn the last-place Padres around, I figured, okay, maybe I, I can get into opening night for free with my getup. So I asked the station management. They said, sure, yeah, you can hang around if, if they let you in. You can continue your stay here. So I called up the Padres. They they gave me a free ticket. I went down there, started cavorting around in the grandstand, got a lot of attention. I know a guy in a chicken suit showing up. This was off the wall stuff in 1974, fellas. I'm telling you. <laughs> and and uh, and the media had fun with it. Look at look at look at this goofus. You know, look, look at him. What, what what's this? Okay, so all kinds of all kinds of shenanigans in the grandstand as I started uh, goofing around aisle to aisle. And uh, again, I was just trying to attract attention for the radio station, but the fans were loving it. And so was the owner, Ray Kroc. He was happy about anything that would make the fans happy. And so then I just continued going and, and going to the games. And it just it just grew from there with the encouragement of the Padres, by the way. Ben, originally you wanted to be in radio. Yes. That, that was your original goal then. Yeah, I wanted to be a journalist. I wanted to be a sports writer. I wanted to work in media. And I figured, okay, this was my entryway. You see, guys, you, you know, I didn't worry whether it was two bucks an hour. In fact, I would have paid them two bucks an hour to be there. It wasn't about money for me. And believe me, when you take out the taxes, uh, you know, I was working for about a buck forty nine an hour. Uh, you know, it sounds like the Depression era, but it was just back in the seventies. You know, but that didn't matter to me. You know, what mattered to me was opportunity. That was the deal. You know, this was my entry into a bigger marketplace. I wanted to be in media and this was radio and which was big back then. It was really big. And so radio it was. And I was thinking maybe I could be a news broadcaster. Maybe I could anchor the news one day. Maybe I could be a reporter for the station, even though it was a rock and roll radio station. But we had a pretty good 15 minute newscast every day that won its own awards in local radio, uh, still, it was uh, it was a moment just to, to break into some kind of industry, and from there, all the doors open up for you, you know. But again, 
I wasn't looking at money as a college kid. I was looking at opportunity and truth be known, that's the golden ticket. So you started your, I guess, lack of a better word, act in, in the stands. You said getting in, getting into the stadium for free. But how did you actually go from being in the stands to being on the field? Yeah. Starting stung your shtick. Yeah, good question. How it began is because after a few years of cavorting in the grandstand and, and making people laugh section to section, the president of the team called me up, Ballard Smith, and he said, Ted, would you like to go on the field and do some of your chicken shtick out there? <laughs> and uh, I said, yeah, is that allowed? He says, we'll make it be allowed. Don't you worry about that. You make so many people laugh in the grandstands. Why don't you go on the field and see if you can think of something? And I didn't know what to do. And so one night we had it all planned out for me to go on the field. I still had nothing on my mind. And I went out there and improvised something with the third base umpire. The place just exploded with laughter. What I improvised was a a fake Billy Martin argument with a Mm -hmm. third base umpire. And he and the umps loved it. The players were, were beside themselves. And needless to say, the laughter was so loud at the Jack Murphy Stadium. It, it showed up on the Richter scale. It was incredible. And the Padres called me back the next day and they said, that was amazing. Yeah, you got any more bags, in, any more tricks in your bag? And they encouraged me. Uh, it was the Padres that rolled out the mat and said, go out there. And, and like I say, Ray Kroc, the owner of the team, who is the founder of McDonald's, his number one goal was, of course, to, to win a pennant. Number two goal or shall I say, number one, a goal was to make sure the customers were happy, that they were pleased, that they went home with a smile on on their face. And even though the Padres were a last place team, it dawned on Ray Kroc, my customers are still going home happy. And it's because (laughs) of that guy in that chicken suit running around. And he loved it. And and that's why the, the Padres opened the door for me to just use my imagination and, and what I did, guys, I took my fascination for comedy, lifelong held, and I merged it with my love of sports, and I produced this unique act. And as, as the, you know, one, it's an interesting thing. As the season progressed, the Padres would take surveys of what the, the customers enjoyed about coming to a Padre game. And they found out that a preponderance of them said they came out to watch the chicken. <laughs> you know, and they knew we weren't going to win, but heck, they got to watch the chicken every night, and and it grew from there. And eventually, it was other teams in the major leagues and the minor leagues that started calling me up and inviting me to their hometowns to perform. And lo and behold, it became a box office attraction, and that's how everything really uh, began. One of your best sticks I, I was actually watching today was you getting actually thrown out for, by the umpires because you were shining their shoes and you didn't get a tip. And then you're arguing, <laughs> yes. arguing with the umpires. I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Those cheap bums. You know. But of course, uh, of course, they were in on it. You know. And at first, I improvised everything. You know. And after a few years, then the players and the umpires started coming to me with ideas. Believe it or not. And, and, and so then 
I would give them a rough overview of what I wanted to do or what they wanted to do with me, and we'd work it out, no rehearsal or anything. And then during the game, we'd set up an inning and go out and do it, you know? And and it worked, and the audience just went crazy. You know, they really loved it, this interaction. You know, and, and I think, let alone that it was funny, guys, but uh, especially for its time, but what it did was really humanize the players and the umpires, because everybody knew that we were joking around for the benefit of the audience's amusement. And that mattered. That counted. That counted to everybody. And, you know, it was silly and irreverent. And and like I say, we were playing for laughs. And the audience knew they're goofing for us, you know, and and everybody loved it. And, and this uh, created an ambience in the stadium, a joy. And it just resonated throughout the evening. And I, I, I was particularly lucky that that what I was doing gravitated uh, to the player's mindset and 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 enjoyment, and 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 earned their respect. And, and let me tell you a little side story. It earned the respect of players so much that on the night the great Lou Brock, Hall of Famer, stole a base to, to break Ty Cobb's career stolen base record at the time of 896 stolen bases in a career. Lou Brock did it in San Diego. And on that night in August of 1977, they stopped the game after he stole the base. The Hall of Fame was there. They brought out a microphone. They they made the pronouncement that the Hall of Fame was there to collect the base, to collect uh, Lou Brock's shoes and uniform, and, and even collected the granules of sand that he slid on to, to break the record. One of the things they did not collect was the baseball itself that he stole it on. And the Padre coach, Whitey Wiedelman at the time, got the ball as a keepsake from the Padre pitcher, Dave Freislevin, and he pocketed it. And after the game, he took it to Lou Brock, a guy who couldn't say no to anybody. So the Hall of Fame took virtually all of his belongings on, on that stolen base. But Whitey Wiedelman brought him the ball. He said, Lou, I saved the baseball that you stole the pitch on. Okay? And Lou Brock laughed it off. And he says, Whitey, it's not, he says, it's not a hitting record. It's just a stolen base record. But he says, give me that baseball. And he signed it over to me. And he says, you give this ball to that crazy chicken who goofs off behind me out in left field. Okay. Wow. And the next night, Whitey Wiedelman before the game came to me and he says, I don't know what got into lose mine, but he wants you to have the baseball. He stole that pitch on. So here it is. And he gave it to me and it was amazing. And I, I had, I had the baseball and then I turned it over to the local San Diego Hall of Champions, which was a local uh, Hall of Fame. I gave it to him decades later. And uh, unfortunately, and I don't know what happened to it, but it disappeared. Okay. It disappeared, so it's gone. And I don't have it, and I don't know where it is. But somebody out there has a baseball that says, that says to the chicken, best wishes, Lou Brock. And it's dated with the, the date and the uh, occurrence of breaking uh, Ty Cobb's all-time stolen base record, which of course has since been broken by Ricky Henderson. Yep. But right. at the time, it was a it was a big deal. Ted, you know what people 
I, I think as they watch, I mean, as I was watching and you were doing splits and you're doing all this dancing and well, first of all, you are a very good dancer. Well, thank you. Yeah. Believe, believe it or not, uh, I, I would do the splits, but uh, unfortunately, I gave it up about the same age as James Brown did. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't do them anymore, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, I would go out there and, and dance and, and it, just, it would just come, it would just uh, kind of come to me. And uh, but the audience really seemed to enjoy it. And so I, I I tried to uh, move in a, a few dance moves uh, here and there on, on some particular thing. And, you know, I just reacted uh, to whatever the audience wanted because they were my editors. And when they laughed, the, the bit stayed. And when they didn't laugh but still applauded, I, they're being polite. And I said, okay, that one didn't work, but I'll be back with, next inning with another, with another one, <laughs> you know. And so the San Diego audiences and audiences across the country were, were very, very good. I would improvise quite a bit wherever I went. And, and a lot of what I did work was predicated on what the stadium was like as well because it was a different stage, whatever town I went to. For example, believe it or not, San Diego Stadium, Jack Murphy Stadium, had no dugout roofs. The dugouts were literally recessed under the grandstand. So fans literally sat in the first row right over the dugout, right on top of the dugout. And back in the day, I got to tell you, the fans were very kind. So there were no incidences or anything of that nature. Everybody respected um, everyone. But if you look at old films of Jack Murphy Stadium, you'll see the fans literally sit uh, on, on what would be the edge of the dugout. And so I couldn't so I couldn't perform on top of dugouts. I could only be in the grandstands or the aisles or eventually the field. But yes, dancing uh, was great on the field and especially in sections where that were sectioned off in the bleachers where they didn't sell seats. And I had that whole platform to myself. And you also had to stay in very good shape to, to, to do that. First of all, to, to keep up the stamina and to do all those moves, I would assume you, uh, you probably had some kind of training regimen. Yeah, you know what, you know what it was? Uh, I'll, I'll tell you guys what, what it was. Uh, growing up in Canada, I was a goalie in hockey. And, you know, just uh, at the amateur level. And, and playing with 40 pounds of gear on you uh, at the time, you, you build up a tolerance to the sweat, and and you you do get some stamina. And of course, being a goalie, there's a lot of roly poly uh, playing on the ground, getting up, sliding around, you know, diving, all that sort of thing. And so I was able to deal with the with the heat of the costume very easily, and and also uh, just uh, uh, move around, you know, a little more effortlessly than perhaps somebody else uh, could just uh, doing it for the first time. And uh, like I say, wearing all that goalie gear up in Canada just uh, kind of like uh, conditioned me uh, what to expect a few years later, just donning a chicken suit. Speaking of hockey, apparently there was an incident uh, in 1977 with the San Diego Mariners hockey team that you were involved in. Could you tell us that story? <laughs> It's a great moment, a <laughs> great moment. Didn't know it at the time, but it was conveyed to me years later. The Russian national hockey team was visiting San Diego. And as was the case uh, of my being a mascot for KGB radio uh, with the call letters emblazoned on my, on my costume, 
I would do every event. Well, needless to say, I did every hockey game for the Mariners. And on this big night, the Russian national team, the Olympic champions, were coming uh, to San Diego to play the San Diego Mariners of the World Hockey Association. And there I was before the game, cavorting in the grandstands, making fun behind the glass, putting the voodoo on them, the hex, giving them the, the chicken moon, you know, with raising my tail and all that sort of thing. And after the warm-up period, the team, uh, uh, you know, clears the ice. Both teams clear the ice so that they can uh, put the uh, Zamboni out and uh, resurface the, the, the ice. Well, the Russians would not come out to, to start the game. And so there was some kind of consternation going on. And the uh, audience just figured, the audience just figured, and I figured, okay, it was such a big crowd there. Everyone's being allowed a few extra minutes to come in before they start this big game. Even though it was an exhibition game, it was it was big in San Diego sports history. The Russians would not come out. Uh, so then the president of the team and and uh, ownership went down to find out what the heck is going on. And the Russians said, "We are not coming out onto that ice until you move remove that idiot in a chicken suit from the premises. He is mocking our society by wearing." KGB on his Jersey vest. <laughs> that happens to be the Russian, the Soviet CIA. Okay, the KGB. They say, you got to get him out of here. Well, the president of the team had to explain, well, wait a minute. That's a radio station here in San Diego. And they've had it since the 30s. Okay, <laughs> and he comes to all our games. And it was explained to them. It'll be a bigger headline if he's not here for this game. So please understand. Yes, his costume is red. Yes, his, his head is yellow, which is the color of your Soviet flag. We get it. But the KGB is a radio station. He must stay. And so after about a 20-minute delay, they, the, the Russians conceded, okay, he can stay. And we'll take the ice. And they went out and started the game on a 20-minute delay. And, and we avoided an international incident. And so, yes, that's how – and I did not know of this story until it was explained to me years later by officials who were there that the coach was and, – and, and their diplomats uh, that traveled with them. And, of course, the KGB officers that also guarded the, uh, the Soviet team. They weren't going to take the ice until I was removed, but uh, they were convinced that I was for real. Ted, when you put this costume on and you become the chicken, it gives you a, a certain freedom to be, to be crazy, to have fun, and do things that obviously you could not do as Ted Giannolis. So what's the feeling like when you just... You're, you're in this costume and you just have that freedom to just be nuts. You know well, what? I'll tell you, I'll, I'll tell you, uh, you've hit on something there. It's kind of like an unwritten license to humorize. And I got a sense of that really quickly. And, and uh, fans grant you that license with their laughter or their smile, you know. And, and so it's very interesting because wearing a costume, you put yourself in a vulnerable position to begin with. And so people accept that. And so talk about being non-threatening. Okay, that that's it. I mean, you're you're 
you've surrendered yourself in uh, in, in in any way. And and so uh, you know, it's uh, like I say, you're there to humorize for everyone else's uh, benefit. And so yeah, you can uh, goof a, a little more and 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 take a a few liberties in the grandstands or on the field, you know, or dancing around. You know, if if I did what I did in regular clothing, they'd probably come and lock me up, <laughs> you know, and 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 order a straitjacket. But being in in costume, it just you know adds to the the idea that uh, this is all in good fun. And keep in mind, one of the greatest holiday observances. Well, I won't call it a holiday, but let, let's uh, let's just say celebration observances is Halloween for a lot of people. Halloween. Everybody gets suited up for Halloween and everybody accepts each other like, oh, okay, hey, you're Dracula. Very cool. All right. Excellent. Okay. Or, or you're Frankenstein. Oh, I, I see. Okay. And oh, hey, here comes somebody else. Oh, the, oh, look at this guy. He's dressed up like Mike Trout. Okay. Very cool. Okay. <laughs> so whatever. A, a, a situation where everyone kind of like says, "Hey, I'm uh, I'm just going to have fun, and I'm I'm having fun uh, for my amusement, but your amusement as well." And so, like I say, that unwritten license comes in to humorize, and uh, it's it's a great icebreaker to say the least. Now I know that I'm asking you this question, knowing that there is someone who you went too far with, not on purpose. But I apparently got very angry, and that's Tommy Lasorda. So I'd love to hear the Tommy Lasorda story. But at the same time, if you could follow that up with, has anyone else ever gotten upset because they felt you went too far? Oh, yeah, yeah. There there have been a couple of instances. First of all, Tommy Lasorda happened in San Diego about 1982. Padres were making noises about uh, challenging for first place, May of 1982. And um, the Dodgers are coming in for a big series. So uh, in the middle of the game, I'm out on the field uh, during an inning break. I take a Padre hat and a, and a Dodger hat, and then I start doing a little Mexican hat dance around both of them. And in the middle of the song, it switches from the uh, Mexican folk ballad to a rock and roll stomp song. And, and I ended up stepping on the Dodger hat 26 times by mistake. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and the fans, of course, loved it. <laughs> and I have to say, even the Dodger fans got a kick out of it. Okay, they got it. All right. So anyway, at the end of the – so I, next inning, I remember Dusty Baker tro- trotting out the left field, and I'm in the left field area. And he's yelling over to me, and he says, he says, Teddy, I don't think Tommy liked that last bit. Okay, I said, okay. I thought he was just pulling my leg. Well, the Padres end up winning the game on a bang-bang play at home plate and in the bottom of the ninth inning and win the game three to two. So I'm exiting uh, the stadium through uh, the underground tunnel runway where the players are uh, about uh, several minutes later. And I'm in full costume. I, I, I would dress in my van, believe it or not. I didn't have a dressing quarter at the, at the stadium. So I dressed in my van and I would leave in my van uh, with my assistant. And so uh, we're going through the corridor and by happenstance, Tommy Lasorda comes out of the the lunch area where they have the spread, the, the the food spread for the players, and on his plate was a huge mound of lasagna, and I, and his cheeks were full full of pasta, and just by happenstance, as I'm walking, he comes out and it, like at a ninety degree angle, suddenly 
boom, in one second, we're face to face. And with the media standing around waiting to do interviews, there were about a dozen media members. He backs me up to the cinder block wall and he starts yelling at me about uh, stepping on a Dodger hat. He said, you want to step on a Dodger hat? Why don't you come into my bleeping uh, uh, office right now and step on mine? And he swore, I'm going to clean this up, fellas. But he swore a mile a minute what he was going to do to me and if I ever did it again. And as he's yelling at me, and I'm in full cost, the marinara spittle with his cheeks full of lasagna was getting all over my beak. It looked like I had chicken pox. Okay. But I, I was there as he's yelling and screaming. And, and the media is like, I, I can see, embarrassed for me uh, right there. He's yelling at me. And all I can think in the back of my mind is, oh, dear God, do not let this man swallow that food down his esophagus. Please, I don't care what he does to me. Don't let, he, don't let this happen to him. I was literally praying for that man's safety so no food would, would lodge in his esophagus while he's screaming at me. He finally he lets me go, doesn't say uh, anything for it, doesn't hit me, okay, but just has his uh, – and it took – it was about a minute long, and he, he stomps away, complete with the lasagna still on his plate. And then I, I just walk away quietly. The media doesn't say anything. I guess they've seen Tommy like this before. But that was uh, the the end of that. So he blew a gasket. But you know, it's it. I, I've, I've I've always theorized that had something bad happened at that moment to to, to Tommy with that food in his mouth. You know, I could see the headlines: uh, "Chicken chokes Lasorda." You know, and I I, I would have uh, you know. Uh, Dodger fans would have been mad at me, but I think the rest of the state would have voted me governor of California. But um, it, w it was a moment that uh, was uh, quite unusual and, you know, for forever, uh, you know, lives with uh, those stories about Tommy. The other the other story I remember was in 1979 when the Yankees were visiting uh, the Seattle Mariners at the old kingdom and Ron Guidry came to me before the game as starting pitcher for the Yankees. He says, my wife's a big fan. Can you come out and do anything with me on the mound? She'll get a big kick. We're televising back to New York. I know she'll love it. And I said, okay, Ron, let's do this. And so I, I, I planned a little, a little 10 second sketch with Ron on the mound uh, as he, and we plan it for the third inning, uh, bottom of the third inning as he's going to take them out. Well, Lou Pinella, volatile left fielder of the New York Yankees, had just struck out with the men in scoring position, a second and third, to kill a Yankee rally. And he's kind of mad. So as he's walking off uh, towards third, uh, towards left field in a huff, he sees me goofing with his pitcher, Ron Guidry, and he starts yelling at me. Uh, okay? And I didn't know he's yelling at me. I, I turn around, and then I see his glove coming right at me, just missing my beak. He threw it at me. Then he starts chasing me around the diamond to get away from his pitcher. And I'm running for my life thinking, oh, my God, this guy's going to beat me to a pulp. What's wrong? The fans are going nuts. They all think this is all part of the sketch. A sellout crowd's going, oh, man, this is fun. Okay. Suddenly, they see Lou break away from the, uh, from the chase, and he goes and he starts yelling at the third base umpire to get me off the field. Okay. Uh, and the umpire just calms him down. Now the fans think, Oh, this, 
this was for real. This wasn't some sketch. This was for real. And the fans are booing Lou now as he's going out the left field. And so I go to the uh, uh, third base umpire, and he tells me, don't. Don't worry, don't worry. He says, he says to me, the uh, you just keep doing what you're doing, Ted. He says the only difference between uh, Pinella and Jimmy Pearsall, a guy from back in the day who mm-hmm. was also crazy. See, the only difference between Pinella and Pearsall is that Pearsall has papers, so <laughs> you keep doing what you're doing, okay? And and so and so it, and that was that was it. But it was quite a show, and just to make a just to to put a capper on this. Lou was very gracious in later years, and he came on and did the baseball bunch with us as a guest. And he said, I hope you understand. It was just the heat of the moment. And I told him, Lou, I totally understand. Don't worry about it. You know, it, it, it got a great laugh. So don't worry about it. You know, and from that point forward, Lou couldn't have been more gracious, more kind, and more friendly with me. Even in his days when he managed um, Seattle, went on later on to manage Seattle, and of course the uh, the Reds, and 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 all the other teams. You know, I think he didn't he have a stint with the Cubs as well. Cubs, yes, and Rays, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was he he was he was very very kind. But you know, it was the heat of the moment, and that was Lou being Lou at the time. Yep. So. There was a conflict between you and the radio station in, in, in May of 79 that uh, caused you to uh, leave the station. But you had a, you, you, I guess you sued the station to use the chicken costume and a judge, Judge Rosado, let you, uh, you won your, your, your case, but you had to use a, a different chicken suit, I guess. No, actually, it was the other way around. When I, I was fired by the radio station because they had the opportunity the chicken got to, let me set the stage. The chicken got to be so popular that the manufacturer of the costume was getting a lot of requests to have the, the chicken suit made for other radio stations across the country. And out of good faith, he told them, no, I'm not going to do that. Okay. Well, the volume of requests was coming in so hot and heavy that he was turning away this, all this business that he said, uh, that doesn't, I'm going to uh, have the radio station KGB buy the copyrights or I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to turn away this business anymore. I'm in the business to make costumes and I'm declining and they're not buying other costumes. They just want that chicken suit. And so he, so the manufacturer offered the radio station, the opportunity to buy the copyrights for the costume. They refused, uh, you know, they wanted 3,500 bucks. The station said, no, 3,500 bucks back in the seventies was a fairly good chunk of change. Yep. Yeah, you know, and um, Cadillacs were going for 6000 at the time, you know. And so anyway, the station said no repeatedly. And when the um, manufacturer uh, told me about it, I said, well, if the station isn't going to buy it, then I will. Okay. And I gave them the money. And I just uh, put the copyright in my pocket. I said, great. I just want it off the market. I don't want to see chickens across the country like department store Santa Clauses. And so I said, I just want it off the market because I see bigger things ahead staying in San Diego as I've envisioned it. And uh, the station got upset that I bought it because their claim was we owned the copyright from the beginning and they were just trying to hold us up for more money. And the, and the manufacturer said, no, 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 that's from our catalog. And we just made a few redesignments to it uh, to make it the KGB chicken as it was known at the time. So. The station fired me. They filed a lawsuit to prevent me from branching out on my own. 
in, in this costume. Took me to court, but the courts ruled in my favor while I was defending myself. And uh, they said, no, I own the actual copyrights, and I was free to go out on my own. And that's how I started branching out. And then all the teams started calling me from all across the country and around the world, even Latin baseball and, and basketball teams from Europe and Asia and all around the world started calling me uh, to invite me to their hometowns uh, to perform. So, and that's, uh, that's how I broke out on my own. I was just defending myself. And again, like in the case of Lou Pinella, believe it or not, years later, got to be friends with the old radio station again, although it's under different management now, but everyone has an understanding that the costume was mine um, all along and I was right to, uh, to get it. But like I say, the radio station could have bought it. They had first crack. They had many cracks. They declined. And anybody could have bought it. Any team could have bought it. The New York Yankees could have bought it and, 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 and had the New York chicken if they wanted, you know. But it was out in the market, and I said, I'm not going to put this out. I'm going to get it. And so I seized on it and, and put it away. And like I say, the station was upset, and that's, that's when we broke off relations and they fired me. And that led to the great hatching. Yes, the grand hatching, because what I had done at the time, I was in limbo. I was under court order until this case was settled one way or another. I couldn't wear my original suit, but demand to bring the chicken back was so great. I said, okay, I'll make my own chicken suit for the time being and come back. And it's the suit that I'm wearing to this very day. So I decided to, to make this gargantuan styrofoam egg and have a grand hatching at Jack Murphy Stadium to reintroduce myself. It was like the second coming of the chicken. And uh, it sold out the place, completely sold it out. For a last place team, like the Padres, uh, playing against another last place team, the Houston Astros. And uh, at the time, it was a, a, a magic moment. Front page news here in San Diego. In fact, at the time, uh, Walter Cronkite, a, a reporter, to cover <laughs> for the broadcast. It's amazing. And so it was a, a fairly big news. And I hatched out of this gigantic styrofoam egg to a 10-minute standing ovation and was carried off the field by the, the Padres. And it was a, a, a magic moment for me. That's great. Ted, there are other mascots and that – other teams have mascots. I mean, Jeff and I are Met fans, and there's Mr. Met and stuff. But, but mm -hmm. the San Diego Chicken has just is probably, and I'm not just saying this. It's got to be, if not the most known, it's in the top two. So you've got this great, almost like a franchise. I mean, you you've got this great product. You're in demand. So the question that I have is, how do you? make this so that you can, I, I know you're not, you didn't do it for the money, but at some point you want to make as much money and, and be successful. And, Oh yes. Um, yes. So how do, how do you, uh, now you, now you need to have an agent. You, you need to, you've got all these bookings. I mean, uh -huh. being the San Diego chicken, can you retire wealthy? Oh, I could. Yes, I can retire comfortably. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Fellas, I started off at two bucks an hour. I started off really for opportunity and two bucks an hour was great. But then as I continued, you know, I saw I saw for myself, this is box office. But for whatever reason, people are coming out. People are coming. Pe guys, p 
people were coming out to the games that weren't baseball fans. And they were getting their first exposure of baseball just to see this goofy chicken perform. And the general managers loved it. And they were, I was bringing in, attracting like a magnet, people who had never been to the ballpark before. How do they know this? Simple. They were getting uh, phone calls from people asking, what are the directions to the ballpark? So they knew these people had never been out, uh, been out before. And, and it was getting to, getting to be a, a gate attraction, let alone baseball fans were coming out, but non-baseball fans were coming out too. And I started selling out stadiums. And as it came, as this began in the major leagues and then the minor leagues, which I didn't know existed uh, so much, but the minor leagues, it went crazy. And uh, because they hadn't had a so-called big league attraction uh, at their parks. And here it was. And it was, uh, and it was uh, great. And so it, it, it created its, its own demand. And I started booking up. General managers uh, were telling me, oh, Ted, you got to start charging. Because I, I, when I started out, I was going around for nothing. Just, I just told the guys, just buy me a pizza afterwards. We'll be fine. And, and I noticed for myself, oh, this is, these crowds are huge. And they're telling me. And they, they came to me in good faith and said, Ted, you got to start charging something. And I started charging. Everybody was on board with it. And nobody, nobody pulled out. And I would just get more and more business. Again, I was leading with good faith. And good faith takes you to magical places. And suddenly I discovered on my own, oh, it's okay. This is great. And I started uh, uh, putting together uh, a little team of assistants to help me out and, and uh, uh, behind the scenes. And uh, I started booking. And believe it or not, you, you brought up agents. I tried to get agents to represent me. None of them would. Not a single one. And that back in the day, I, I would approach uh, big agents um, uh, of the day. They said, no, because I, I, I can't blame them. They were looking at me and said, I'm not going to represent a guy in a chicken suit. I'm trying to represent uh, Mark McGuire and Jose Canseco. I'm not going to represent, oh, I got the chicken on my roster. No. So uh, I accepted it. And nobody would represent me. So I said, I'll represent myself. So be it. And I did the bookings. I had uh, a little office. And uh, people would call, and I had a secretary uh, to help help me uh, direct things, and it just grew from there. I just had just continue building uh, the business. In fact, guys, you might not know this, but I was on the road 250 days out of the year throughout the 80s and the 90s, just visiting one-night stands of different teams. So it got to be uh, uh, fairly good for me, but it got to be great. For the teams that had me, because they looked up whether it was hockey, basketball, uh, baseball, and to a lesser extent, football. But they would look up and see empty seats filled up uh, with uh, the presence of the chicken. And they said, how can you say no? This is found money. And and so uh, I the team started reaching out to me as opposed to my reaching out to teams. and And it just grew from there. And you were on talk shows. You were there's a picture on the internet of you with Ronald Reagan. Oh yeah, all by invitation. Yeah, all these things. Yeah, it, people were opening up the doors. You make people laugh. I'm telling you, they, you know, it it, it creates its its own path. But uh, yeah, when the president of the United States says, "Hey, I'm coming to town. Uh, do you mind uh, uh, helping introduce me to, to the uh, 
to the uh, rally. I say, yes, no problem, Mr. President. Happy to do that. You know, and uh, or then an owner like Ray Kroc calls you up to a suite, suite box, just to say thank you and say, is there anything we can do for you? Let us know. You know, this is, you know, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting time with, uh, with ownership and, and, and with, with, with people valued in society. And, and what was I doing? They're just making people laugh in, in good faith and people respecting it and appreciating it. And it just grows from there. Again, you lead with your good faith and magical things happen. You, you know, not just presidents, but celebrities, including uh, Jimmy Buffett, Paul McCartney, even the King Elvis Presley, you had him actually stop a concert. Cause he, yes. He was, <laughs> one of the uh, one of the biggest compliments a performer can have is being on a cereal box. And you you were on the box of, I think, cornflakes. Yes. How was that? Kellogg's cornflakes. Yes. Yes, I think it was back in 1984. Uh, Kellogg's came out with a limited cereal, a limited cereal box of certain celebrities. Uh, uh, Fernando Valenzuela was one uh, at the time. You know, you know the hot all-star pitcher of the uh, of the Dodgers. Uh, there was Sally Ride, the astronaut, and and they asked me to uh, for to be on on a panel and and sign the box, and I I was I was beside myself. Great. So I was on a Kellogg's Cornflakes box. I remember FTD, the florist, uh, calling me up and said, we want to use you in a commercial with Merlin Olson, the all-pro Hall of Fame football player with the sure. uh, LA Rams, uh, and he was, it, who turned broadcaster. Um, and was on and, and Little House on the Prairie. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. That's the that's how my wife refers to Berlin Olson. You mean the star from Little House on the Prairie? <laughs> that's right. Yes, yes, that Berlin Olson. Yes, and so and so uh, uh, yeah, and so all these uh, all these opportunities uh, were were uh, coming my way, and and it was quite quite enjoyable. Uh, needless to say. I was like a kid in a candy store, you know, waking up every morning and seeing a new opportunity being presented. So, you know, it, it was it was fun. So something as irreverent as a guy in a chicken suit, you know, uh, he can create uh, opportunities in, in, in the United States. A true success story. Ted, you've been very generous with your time. I have one more question before we let you go. And I, I, I know you've been all over the world. You've been in uh, eight countries, four continents all 50 states, you performed in, in front of 60 million people. But w- w- was there a place that you wanted to perform, but you were not be able, you were not able to? Yes. Yes, there was a couple. You know, I've been to Shea Stadium, uh, by the way, fellas. Great audience. Oh, oh, <laughs> oh, I love that audience. Oh, oh, a quick side story. A quick side story. I have a layover in LaGuardia. Uh, this was about 1982, 83. I've got a layover in LaGuardia. And the Mets are playing that afternoon against the Phillies. And I said, oh, you know, it's just a short cab ride to go over to, to Shea Stadium. Why don't we do a cameo? I call up the Mets and say, hey, will you have me in if I just come out and make a one-inning cameo surprise uh, for the fans? I'd love to do it. And, and they say, are you nuts? This is, this is great. We'd love to have you. Sure. Okay. So I go over there. And and uh, again, I, I'm on a I'm on a about a, a four hour layover at LaGuardia. So perfect. I just take a cab over, suit up, make an impromptu 
appearance in Shea Stadium, coming from the left field uh, area in, in the grandstands and going through that walkway. And the fans go nuts. They go nuts. So with the game in progress, uh, that, uh, there's this uh, mini standing ovation as I'm going from, from uh, section to section, just walking by, waving. And then I get on top of the dugout. All the heads are turned. All the heads are turned. The, the damn chicken is here among us. <laughs> we didn't even know. People are going nuts. And so I, I get up on the dugout. I do a one-inning cameo appearance. By the way, there's a full-page shot. In, in the 25th anniversary of the New York Mets yearbook, uh, uh, anniversary book or uh, mm-hmm. history of the New York Mets, full page shot of, of a moment when I'm on top of the dugout uh, with a beer. And uh, you can see the fans in the background and it's great. And, and uh, they couldn't have been more kinder and more generous with their laughter. And I just, uh, you know, did my one inning stint, waved goodbye and left. Fans were coming up to me and, and, and uh, go, just couldn't, they, they were so warm and gracious and, 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 and can I use the word loving? They were fantastic. And again, you know, they had seen, uh, they knew of me, you know, through a variety of sources, but the, the baseball bunch, you know, especially. And and they were great. They they were great. And so, um, the, but to get to your uh, other question of uh, what what stadium could I play? I wanted to play Yankee Stadium, uh, the original. I reached out to them. They wouldn't uh, they wouldn't respond and wouldn't have any part of me. Probably because I, I did the Mets first, but uh, <laughs> uh, probably to a larger extent because they're a button down culture, um, and and I accepted it. You know, and that's that's fine. And you know, I think it would have been nice uh, because uh, the Yankees would, I, I was told, would play a lot of my videos up on their scoreboard. So I said, hey, well, why don't you have me out even for a little bit, just a, a few innings? I'll come out and do a few innings, and uh, and the fans will have fun. No, not not of the sort. But the other place I wanted to play, guys, was I would have loved to have played the old Montreal Forum for the Montreal Canadiens. Mm-hmm. The the forum back then in Canada was what the original. Yankee Stadium or Wrigley Field is the baseball fans, you know, and and so uh, you know it, it never came to fruition, you know. Again, the the, the culture was pretty buttoned down, and uh, back then uh, in the day, and so I never got that opportunity. I think it would have been great, great fun. I've been all throughout Canada, and and uh, but never never to the old Montreal Forum. So those would be the only two places. Those uh, those really cherished cathedrals of sports. Well, Ted, it's been a pleasure having you on. It's, it's a great story, such great memories. I, I, I certainly remember you performing in, in uh, stadiums and watching you on TV and, and the interaction with the fans and, and the umpires and the players. It's just fantastic. And it, it couldn't have been nicer for your time. I thank you very much. We really well, appreciate fellas, it. Uh, thank you very much. I really appreciate the interest. Thank, thank you and, and good luck. And, and, uh, Heck, we didn't even get around to barbecue. <laughs> well, Ted, you know what? That's I was going to ask you. Does a chicken have any trepidation about coming on a barbecue show? You know, you you were very brave to do that. <laughs> okay, I'm going to let you guys in on a secret. I don't mind if people eat those other chickens. It helps helps eliminate the competition. (laughs) If you can't beat them, eat them. (laughs) Think of the marketing opportunities if I'm the last chicken standing. Oh. (laughs) Oh, and with that, Ted, you are fantastic. Thank you. 
thank you for giving us such joy for all these years. You just su- such a delight. You you make the experience of going to a game even even that much better. And we we can't thank you enough. Well, thank you, fellas. I appreciate uh, your interest and the consideration. And, of course, the, the, the kind thoughts. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Good luck. <laughs> thank thank you. you. Bye-bye. All right. Take care. Bye now. And thank you, Ted. G- well, how do you pronounce his last name? Giannalis. Giannalis. He was fantastic. The San Diego Chicken, the most famous mascot there, was, there ever was, and very entertaining. Check out his YouTube videos. It is just fantastic. You want to get a, a laugh? This will make you laugh. Every time I watch those videos, I just crack up. I really do. Yeah. It's so funny. It's and so the, immature. The antics and... <laughs> that he comes up with. It was just That's great. amazing. Yeah. Oh, it, yeah, he was great. Yeah, he, he was definitely somebody, Jeff, that uh, I'd like to have back. I'm saying that right now. If he's listening, he has an open invitation because he was a lot of fun. Yes. And when you think about it, the people th- that show baseball bunch it was all hall of famers on that show and yeah. they weren't hall of famers at the time but they're all hall of famers yep unbelievable so, so speaking Jeff, of gifts, speaking of gifts giving season since we're big on barbecue we're going to talk about barbecue gifts and len one of the last episodes you wanted a, a bag of charcoal and who went out there and got you a barbecue gift you did. You did. You got me. You got me a bag of B and B charcoal because Vic Clevenger said did that not. Was, <laughs> he did not. But uh, he said that was that was a very good charcoal, and you you wanted to use it. So I went out there. I searched all over to find yes, a bag of B and B charcoal, and I tell you, I just went to the first Ace Hardware store I found, it and there, were, there it was. But <laughs> it was better than you. There's nobody. That's right. That's right. But Jeff, if so, so basically you gave me coal. You, you gave, well, so I got a lump of coal. You can put that in your stocking stuff. There you go. <laughs> so Jeff, I know you mentioned a couple of things that you said would be good barbecue gifts. And I have a, a, a list a mile long that we could run through. But what are some of the things that you had that you have that would be good barbecue gifts? Well, you can just Google barbecue gifts and you'll see a lot of stuff. I mean, you have your usual spices, your, your, your tools, but there are some unusual things that people don't think of giving that are really important for the barbecue person in your life. Fire-resistant gloves. That could be very handy. You know, you drop something into the fire, you want to get it out, you don't want to burn oh. your hands. The gloves, that, that, that's a great gift. Thermometers are, are, are a great gift. So those type of things are, are some things I recommend. And I have one here that is just fantastic, but I'm going to let you go with your, some, of, some of your stuff. So let's just talk for, for a second about the grilling gloves. The longer they are down your arm, though, that could come in handy because sometimes you're right. You drop something and you need to go lower than, you know, just a regular glove length. That, that's very helpful. I've, I've got on here, you're right, There's you can Google it, but pans and cookware, including cast iron. Cast iron is great on your grill. Grilling baskets for uh, the, all the small items, if you want to grill shrimp or little vegetables, or even, you know what, even if the you're careful with the vegetables so they don't go through the grates, it's how 
time consuming is it to have to put each individual one? If you have a grilling basket, it's so much easier. Oh, absolutely. Pellets, pellet grilled, you know, you can't have enough pellets. You go through those a lot. But wood chunks, right? Sure. I mean, I've seen, I'm going on a couple of sites here, bbqguys.com. I see this. This is unusual, something I wouldn't think of giving, but something I do all the time. I mean, when I clean out my pellet grill, I take a little vacuum, but there's a vacuum, especially for pellet and charcoal. And it's out there on the uh, bbqguys.com website. This vacuum specifically made for a barbecue. Yeah. And you need that because you're right. You have to, when you use a pellet grill, especially, you get that, that uh, you know, I'm going to call it sawdust or whatever it is, but you need that. It gets in there and that's the only way you're going to get it out is, is with the vacuum. You know, Jeff, we, of course, have had the guys from uh, baseballbbq.com. Another great place to tools, get stuff. Yep. Right. Grilling tools and accessories. That's a great gift. Absolutely. I mean, a really great gift. Yes. And they have clothing on there. Of course, cutting boards make a great gift. Now, we, of course, recommend Fifth and Cherry. But if that those cutting boards, if they're out of your price range, there are other cutting boards you can get. And But a cutting board is, is just a fantastic thing. Yeah, you can go Even, to uh, Bob, bbqguru.com. They have some stuff on there. Their website absolutely. as well. Yep. Mm-hmm. And what about... Oh, you know, it's funny. I was going to say the Pandemic Baseball Book Club, but that would not be barbecue <laughs> gifts. Right. Knives make a great gift. A good knife, you know, is is really important. Yeah. And if, if the barbecue lover in your life likes to cook more than one piece of meat or chicken or poultry or whatever, you know, get them a variety of, of probes for, for mm-hmm. the thermometer. Absolutely. Oh, you got to go. You you have to go to... Uh, Thermoworks for the thermopen, the thermopop. Uh, they have a smart meat thermometer. Oh, th- no, they don't. But the meter, which is a smart meat thermometer, that's those are great gifts. Aprons are great gifts. You know what, Jeff? What about, and this could be either a stocking stuffer, you can make someone a basket, getting someone rubs and sauces from different parts of the country. Yeah. From all over. You can go on Etsy, you can go to uh, on online and get sauces and rubs that you've never heard of, but they are so much fun. How, how much fun is it to just get a rub? You have no idea how it's going to be. Get some chicken thighs or whatever and just mm-hmm. experiment with it. Absolutely. Right. What about, uh, yeah. Now, if you have a kettle grill, you can get a kettle pizza deluxe pizza oven kit. For your mm-hmm. kettle grill. Yeah. They have actually those pizza oven. There are pizza oven inserts for pellet grills. They have pizza ovens that you can use uh, gas with. Yeah. What about grill brushes? You know. Grill brushes. Right. That's Absolutely. a good gift. Yep. It doesn't have to be. I mean, there's for every price range. You know, a pellet grill is a beautiful gift, but. It's certainly not, you're not going to get that for your secret Santa. <laughs> I don't think <laughs> unless you work on wall street and for a hedge fund, right. you know, that might be, maybe they're getting secret Santa gifts that are that in that price range. But for most people that they're not. How about what, what they call about, it, what, what they call the clause that when you, oh, 
Yeah, the, the, of course, the, the bear claws. The bear claws. Uh, or grill, grill claws, I should say. Grill claws. Yeah, for shredding pork or chicken. Right. Exactly. That. Have you ever used those, Jeff? Personally, no. It is fun. Yeah. You get this. <laughs> Anyway, you get this big chunk of meat that you that you take off you take off the grill. Now, I'm talking about like a you know a pork butt. You take it off, and you've got these two claws, and you just rip it apart. It's a lot of fun. Of course, there's you can get steak steak meat sent to you. The steak mm-hmm. uh, steak warehouses they hold Omaha steaks and things like that. Right. Uh, what what do we have on with Vic? He said alligator. You can actually get alligator sent to you if you want. <laughs> That's yeah, you could. You know what? What about cookbooks? What grilling person, what anybody involved with cooking doesn't love a good cookbook? A little, little secret here. I went to Len's house the other day and I knew he had a few cookbooks. I didn't know how many he had. He had a lot of cookbooks. <laughs> yeah. And I, and, and you know what? I, I love them. Yeah. But I, why do you, just... why do you keep making me the same thing over and over again? That's, I always, I know I have all these cookbooks and then you're right. I always go to the same thing, which is, which is wrong. I mean, but we've had on, we had on Stephen Reichlin. He has his vegetable cookbook that he put out this year, right? Meathead, of course, has his uh, fantastic cookbook. Jamie Pavines has his cookbooks. Yeah. I mean, there, and, um, Adrian Miller. Right. So uh, there are tons of grilling cookbooks. But this um, is the one gift. I want to tell everybody because I would never have thought of this. And this looks like so cool. And it's not that expensive. So when you're making a steak or a a piece of of meat, you know, a large piece of meat, you know, you want to put your own stamp on it. Right. This is yours. This is your, your your hard labor. You put your blood, sweat, and tears in it. You want it to put, come out perfect. So you want to put your your stamp on it. You you mean like a forever stamp, so you can mail it? What what do you mean? No, Jeff? like a personalized <laughs> miniature steak branding iron. You can actually what? buy a branding iron with your initials on it for like thirty five dollars off of Amazon, and you could just sear your initials into the steak while it's cooking. I thought I thought that was a great, great uh, kind of gift for the barbecue person. That is great. That yeah, that that is great. Yeah. So everybody could everybody could have a steak with JC on it, right? You can you can put up the three letters. So I mean, you can put your if you have a nickname like Ace, you can put Ace on it. <laughs> I like it. I like it a lot. That's a good one. Oh, what about you know what about butcher paper? Yes. How many times during the year do you say, can I borrow some butcher paper? You know, you end up using foil, but that's a good gift. There are so many what, things. What, I just go to your house and borrow butcher paper. <laughs> right. That is true. Aprons. Another good thing. Right. Rib rings. Rib racks. Rib racks. Rib rings. <laughs> you know, I picked actually picked some, something up for myself the other day. It was a rack for wings and, and chicken legs. Mm-hmm. It's, it's right on top. So and now, and now I can't buy that for you because you already got it. Right. Well, you can return the one you got for me. <laughs> hey, you know what I saw? A paella pan. Ooh. Because you can do everything outside on your grill, whether it's a you know smoker, your grill, 
I mean, everything during the, I mean, we we're outside during the, during the colder weather, but when it's nice out, there's no reason you have to heat up your kitchen. Yeah. I would use anything. my grill. Uh, truth be told, I have some construction done in the kitchen. I've been using my grill in this cold weather we have up here in the Northeast. And it's nice, right? It's good to have, right? It's yes. very, it, it, it's, you know, it's your, it's your outdoor kitchen. And, yes. and especially since you don't have a kitchen right now, exactly, it's your only kitchen. <laughs> so otherwise all you're doing is takeout constantly. Yes. Oh, so not, but, that's not good for you. Yeah. There's also their subscriptions to these. We, I mentioned the sauces. There are clubs. Yeah. You go like, online. Like the uh, wine of the month club and things like that. Yeah. You have a sauce of the month club or a rub of the month club. Mm-hmm. My daughter had yeah. uh, last year. My daughter got me uh, a few months of the of the subscription. Oh yeah, what, you know, do you know, you know what she got me? Nothing. <laughs> but that's okay. I love her anyway. Good. What about coolers? Right. Uh huh. It could be a cooler to just keep the you know when you bring the meat outside or bring whatever you're bringing outside and you need to keep cool for a while it could be a bigger cooler when you take that brisket off and you want to wrap it and then stick it in the cooler to have it rest could be that there's so many things griddles yep i think we said tongs and spatula that of course you can go to baseballbbq.com for that so oh and of course, you know, our, our good friend Ray Sheehan has his barbecue Buddha sauces. And what about Elda's Kitchen, right? Mm-hmm. You can go to her website. She's been on the show a couple of times. Go to her website, get some of her sauces. Absolutely. Think, I think, Jeff, think, therefore I am. <laughs> yes. I think that we have. I think we've given people a enough. And if you want to send us some stuff, our address is oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> But our phone number is 516-855-8214. Drop us a line. Our email is baseballandbbq at gmail.com. Our Facebook is baseballandbbq. Our Twitter at baseballandbbq. Instagram, baseball and barbecue, with barbecues all spelled out. Our website is www.baseballandbbq.weebly.com. Please rate and review us. Oh, you know what? I just thought of something. I wanted to congratulate you on your appearance on the Barbecue Central show with our friend Greg Rampey, who uh, had you on to talk about the lockout. And Jeff, you are Mr. Baseball. Because oh, you really, you, you gave a very good explanation of the lockout. If anybody wants to hear that, it was just, uh, I don't, it, find the Barbecue Central show. And you you were very good on that. So thought I would mention that. Oh, thank you very, thank you very much. And I just want to mention, I had the pleasure of going to a book signing last week where they had our friends Brett Topel and Eric Sherman. Both of them are are knee deep in writing a new book for next year. So I can't wait about that. It's going to be for Eric is going to be re- writing some, uh, something on Fernando Valenzuela. So that should be interesting. Yes. We had on, why did we talk about Fernando Valenzuela? 
Yeah, it was J- Jason Turbo. Oh, yeah. Right. They bled blue. They bled blue. Yeah. For those who, who were not around, you know, for for our younger audience who, who did not experience uh, Fernando Mania, mm-hmm. that was something. Yep. That really was. I mean, it was it didn't last long. Right. It, a few years. Right. But but it was it was something special when it did, when it did happen. Yeah, very special. That he was incredible. That was that was amazing. And speaking of gifts, okay, we had of course Randall Thompson of Dugout Mugs, which of course is for if you're just a baseball fan and not a barbecue fan, or you know what? What's better than going outside, putting the grill on, having your drink, and just hanging out and doing it with the dugout mug? That's pretty special. It is. And with that, here is Randall Thompson of Dugout Mugs. Randall Thompson is the president and founder of Dugout Mugs. Dugout Mugs are baseball bat drinking mugs, a very unique item that makes a great gift for someone or for or to yourself, as I have done. They're very popular gifts for Little League coach, Father's or Mother's Day, wedding parties, and of course, the holiday season. These mugs have the MLB license and can also be customized. Randall is here to talk about his company. Welcome to Baseball and BBQ, Randall Thompson. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Welcome, Randall. Happy to be here. So, Randall, how did you come up with this idea to start a company for Dugout Mugs? Uh, I was coaching college baseball in 2014. Uh, The hitting coach was creating his own training tool and taking a handsaw and cutting wooden baseball bats in half in the dugout. And as he was doing that, uh, there was a bunch of loose bat barrels just lying around in the dugout and took a look, picked one up, took a look at one and thought I could drill that out and turn it into a, into a pretty cool drinking mug. And that's how the dugout mug was born. (laughs) There were, there were no paper cups available. So you were, you did, you, you did what you had to do out of necessity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, Randall doing uh, some research, this company of yours is you've got a lot of people working for you. Yeah. I would say all in all on a daily basis to make everything go around probably about 70 people make it go around. Wow. Yeah. 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 People don't realize, uh, you know, what goes into this. And I, and as I was doing my, I, I call it stalking, but I noticed that you have somebody working for the company, Blaise Maris, mm-hmm. who's uh, Roger Maris's grandson. Right. Yeah. He, uh, he went to the same college as I went to, and uh, we were looking for some help. And I reached out to my old college coach and I said, hey, do you have anybody that would be interested in working for us? And Blaze came highly recommended. Yeah, he brings he brings a certain work ethic and a certain professionalism, and just in general, just a stand up guy. Awesome to work with on a daily basis, and obviously, it's in it's in his blood to do things with excellence. So, yeah, uh, I, I was going to say, for, forget forget all that. The, the, his grandfather hit sixty one home runs in a season, <laughs> so you know the guy could do whatever he wants. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, he could he could be a, a real asshole, and it wouldn't matter, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> So where's your where's the your company located? We're in Winter Haven, Florida, which is pretty much Lakeland, and Lakeland is pretty much right in the middle of Tampa and Orlando and, and Florida. Is that where your uh, production facilities are and everything? Yeah, that's where we do production. And then there's a bunch of people that are remote uh, in different states. One in Illinois, one in 
South Carolina, one in Alabama, the kind of people just all over the place, but uh, where we do a majority of our production is done in, in Winter Haven, Florida. Uh, so Randall, tell us about you. Okay. You, besides the fact that you saw a sort off bat and thought, Hey, I'll make a drinking mug out of it. Tell us about your background. I grew up around baseball my entire life. Time I was four years old up until I was about 22 or 23 years old, uh, played high school ball and college ball signed with the blue Jays out of college after my senior year. And, uh, only only played for about a season and a half before the Blue Jays released me. And yeah, my, my, my life has been baseball. And now the, the past six or seven years since I've launched Dugout Mugs, uh, it's been baseball, but just in kind of a different capacity. And uh, yeah, love baseball, uh, love the game of baseball, love the, love the people that are involved in the game of baseball. So I would say all in all, I'm a baseball guy. Uh, always have been. So I've always loved it unexplainably. Just loved it. I was looking up your record on, on baseball reference and your ERA was 2.87. I mean, they, they kind of let you go a little too soon. <laughs> yeah. They screwed me, but <laughs> you know, uh, it's, it, it's a blessing. It, I, I, I've played with guys that have stuck around in the minor leagues for a pretty long time and they get up to double A or triple A and they can kind of taste the big leagues. And I, I feel like I'm kind of blessed that I never really felt like I actually had a, a chance. The guys that felt like they had a chance have a really hard time of letting go of the, the game. I had a really hard time letting go of the game, and I didn't get anywhere close to the big leagues. Yeah, it's kind of a, it's a blessing in disguise. I did have a good season. Me getting released was a little premature in my when I look back on it, but I'm sure glad that it did happen when it did it's a good thing you weren't a football fan because I, I don't know if you ever tried to make a mug out of a football. It just, every time you cut into it, it just deflates and deflates. Yeah. You screwed. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. But yeah. Uh, thank God I wasn't a football guy. So you've been around the game your whole life and you, you, you said you, you got this idea watching the, uh, the loose bats and it's, it's just a, a great, great uh, product. I mean, you know, it, it's, it can be customized. You have the MLB license and you can get any team looking on your website. You have all these great pictures of, of players using the mug, you know, even, uh, even got a uh, Mariano Rivera on there, which I know is Len's one of Len's favorite guys. So I yeah. do. I, I, I actually, I'll interrupt a second. Cause I got the chance to have a catch with Mariano just a few weeks ago That's and, awesome. uh, it was pretty awesome. So yeah. I, how did that, I, how did that come about? We actually, uh, in my other working life, uh, one, one of our carriers, Hartford, Hartford Insurance, they're a big uh, sponsor of the Yankees. So they yeah. had a special uh, day. It was with Tino Martinez and Mariano. We had a, uh, there was a question and answer session. Then we got to hit in the cage uh, nice. with uh, Tino giving us some advice. And then we went into the visitor's dugout and we had uh, Mariano and he was, he crouched down, he was catching and, uh, they were calling me the barbecue guy because <laughs> I wasn't shy. I went right over to them and I was like, uh, you guys, you ever come on podcasts? <laughs> and I told them about it. And then the next thing you know, barbecue guy. <laughs> so it was, but it was, yeah, it was having a catch with Mariano. I think if I had been there a couple more hours, I might've converted to the, uh, well, you're wearing a Red Sox shirt. So 
I'm a, yeah. I'm a baseball fan. It doesn't matter to me. Any any team goes for me. Good. Tino Good. Martinez is one of the most down the earth nice guys in the world. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, Jeff, that you have that dugout mug that you've been showing. Of course, I this did. is a podcast, so it's all audio. Who's on there? What you have a team on there? As if I, I don't have a team, it's Mike Piazza. Uh, Mike Piazza model. So yeah, that's so, fun. But you, so so Randall, you have all teams. And then you get uh, personalized, and you also have each. You don't have all the players. I mean, I guess anybody who signs with you, correct? How does that work out? We have a license with Major League Baseball Players Association, which means that we have the rights to all the active players' signatures and likeness and numbers. Uh, we also have a license with the National Baseball Hall of Fame, which that's that's the one that Piazza is part of, mm-hmm. and and they have an umbrella of players that. Just because you're in the Hall of Fame doesn't necessarily mean we can work with those particular players. There's a certain select amount of players that are actually involved with the National Baseball Hall of Fame license. And so that's that's how we were able to use Mike Piazza's name and his signatures that because of that license with the Hall of Fame. Randall, you've got in your bio the last sentence of your bio. It says Randall likes to play tetherball and read about patent and trademark law. Now, I would imagine it's something like this. You get a lot of companies or people that try and knock you off. Have you had to take anyone to court to protect this? Nothing. Got, nothing's ever gotten to court. Any time that you, a cease and desist goes out or, or you file a lawsuit or whatever it is, to, to actually get it to court is hundreds of thousands of dollars to, to actually get it to that point. It always ends up in just a settlement agreement of just saying, "Oh, yep, our bad." But yeah, we we uh, we do see pretty often people trying to knock it off, and you know, I think I think that a struggle comes passion. And very early on, when I first launched Dugout Mugs, there was some struggles that that came along with stuff that involved IP law, and uh, because of that struggle, it kind of grew into a passion, and I, I got really really intrigued. And started reading about patent and trademark law and wanted to learn about it as much as I possibly could. Got the holidays coming up. So what's on uh, what's on tap for the holidays? So we just launched a, a metal dugout mug, which is the barrel of a baseball bat uh, metal version. It's made out of stainless steel, but it replicates the, uh, the barrel of a, a metal baseball bat. We've brought a bunch of those in, hoping to, hoping to sell a bunch of those. And we're going to reintroduce the shortstop, which is a smaller version of the dugout mug. Holds nine ounces. It's, I guess, more so for coffee and whiskey type drinks. So the combination of those two things and then also just trying to get as wide as possible with the dugout mug is ultimately the plan of of how we're going to hopefully be ready for the fourth quarter. It's not just mugs. You also have uh, shot glasses, bottle openers, made a mug. Also, uh, half a baseball I saw that you uh, it turns into a uh, a bottle opener. That's great. Wine glasses. It, it's it's terrific. And I love looking on your website at all the teams. And it's just not their logo. You have their skyline. You have the players. You have different models. It's just fantastic. Yeah, I appreciate that. It all started with the dugout mug, which is the barrel of a baseball bat turned into a drinking mug. And then we've we've kind of put our toe in the water with other products, like converting the knob of a baseball bat into a shot glass. And that's another original patented product that we have. The, the, the bottle opener 
not unique to us. It's been good. People have made those bottle openers for, for quite a long time. It, the, what makes us unique, I guess, in the category is that we're able to lean our MLB license into it. So if you wanted a Yankees bat handle bottle opener, we're the only company that can do that. So that makes it, it makes it cool and unique. And then the wind up, that's a unique product to us. And that's something that we shortly came out with after the, after the dugout mug. So yeah, we're, I mean, we're definitely trying to get as deep and narrow as possible. And then slowly, but surely we kind of widen up with these other product offerings and it seems to be a pretty solid business model for us thus far. What's the patent that you have? What's trademarked in this? So the, the design of the dugout mug is patented. The design of the knob shot is patented. Patented. We have a patent on the, the word mark wind up. Uh, same thing with dugout mugs. We, we have a home plate tray. We, we took a home plate, converted it into like a, a carrying tray that can carry four drinks. We have a patent on that, but we don't even sell it. We, we sold it really early on. And it, it's kind of a, a little bit of a shipping nightmare. So we kind of just threw it in our back pocket and maybe we'll come back to that at some point. But yeah, I think that that kind of covers the IP that we have. And it's not just baseball team. Do you can customize your mug? I see on your website, you have a, a photo mug that you can put on. You can put the logo on a message. So that's uh, that's terrific. And, you know, people can just go in and, and order it. The website is dugoutmugs.com. And I mm-hmm. encourage everybody to uh, just look around in there. It's really a, a fun website to look at. Yeah, if you're a baseball fan and you land on our site, I'd uh, I'd be willing to bet you're going to find something that's going to intrigue you, not only for yourself but also as a gift, as you alluded to in the beginning of this. And uh, those photo mugs are a big hit around Father's Day. Moms upload photos of of dads with their sons or their daughters. The amount of just the, the realistic nature of of the photo that ends up in, being engraved on the mug it's pretty incredible. As a person that's not easily impressed, whenever whenever I look at what our laser techs are able to do with those, I, I'm pretty dang impressed with what they're able to do. Yeah, Randall, you've obviously grown the company in the short amount of time you've been in business. So what's the biggest type of advertising? What what are you doing? How, do you, how are you growing the company? Mostly social media ads. Uh, so we started out on Facebook in 2016. Facebook and Instagram. Since then, we've moved into Google ads and Pinterest ads. We're going to mess around with some other channels this fourth quarter to see uh, like TikTok's becoming really popular or it is very popular. We're going to, we're going to test that out, see how that goes. And then also YouTube ads, but mostly just taking a relevant product, coming up with a relevant promotion, putting a relevant product in front of relevant people has really been the secret sauce and just, and just being just being unique, really. It, it, it's it's pretty simple uh, to have a unique selling proposition when you are the unique selling proposition. You know, it's just like we're not competing against anybody, really. If you're a baseball fan and a bat barrel mugs put in front of you, and you can get your favorite team engraved on the front of it or print now printed on the front of a metal mug, it just seems like the biggest no brainer that you would you would scoop it up as a gift. So. Yeah, just social media. Just put it in front of relevant eyes and the rest takes care of itself. I'm sure with all the crackbacks that happen during a game, there's plenty of inventory to get from <laughs> from teams or whatever. But uh, I wanted to ask you, you know, you, I, I see that it comes with care, uh, care for your dugout mug. You can't put it in a microwave. So tell us uh, the best way to care for it. 
Yeah. So, you, I mean, the way, the way I, about 60% of people actually don't even use it. They just put it on a display shelf and uh, it's kind of a conversation piece more so than it is actually used for its utility. But people do, people do bring it out for like the big game. That's my favorite time to use is uh, when playoff baseball starts right around this time, uh, big game, pour something in it, beer, water, whatever, and drink from it. And after you do use it, hand wash, air dry. Uh, I had one guy that was putting water at it, water in it and putting it on his bedside and using it for like his, his water glass at night. I, I you know, I don't, <laughs> I wouldn't suggest that, but like, whatever. I mean, if you, you know, if you love the game of baseball, let's do it. Let's drink from bats, even in the middle of the night. Why not? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, how did you find out about them? You just Google it. What you? No, I, I think I heard you on uh, another somewhere, uh, somewhere on a podcast, maybe uh, somewhere else. Uh, and I just, uh, go- I, yeah, Google it and found dugout mugs. Another podcast. I know, right? <laughs> shame, shame, shame. I know. <laughs> I know. Just cheating. So, yeah. so Randall, you your your bats that you're getting, are they all used bats, or I I would think that. You know, a lot of those bats get cracked or whatever, so that you'd need to actually maybe get some new ones or something. Like, what are you using? Now, the initial idea was dreamt up that, like, every time Mariano Rivera were to break a bat, we would take it and we'd convert it into a, into a drinking mug. It's not very scalable. In the beginning, that's, that's what I was doing in my backyard. But it's not – once you start selling at a certain scale – it just doesn't doesn't work that way. What we're doing now is we're working with a partner up in Quebec City. That's a bat manufacturer, and we're just using uh, the wood that otherwise would just be considered scrap wood to be to, to turn out barrels and turn them into mugs. Also on your uh, on your website, you have your about us section and your team. And what I love about it is is the, the stories, you know, of short stories of your people who work with you and their favorite quotes. I, I just happen to be a quote person. I just I love looking at that and you know some of these great. And so you you have a great customer service team. Uh, I've been conversing with Todd Grassley, who's yeah, been very helpful. Great. Yes, I, it just looks like you have a terrific team with you. Yeah, it's 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 been really intriguing. Uh, the the past. So when I first started this company, I wanted to hopefully recreate what it felt like to be in a locker room or a dugout and surprisingly within reason nobody really has ever played baseball before that works for dugout mugs which seems like that wouldn't be the case obviously blaze is an exception and then the guy that runs our marketing played college ball but if you looked at the the split of how many people played baseball versus not played baseball i mean five percent of our not even a two percent of our of our employees played baseball and the rest in it. But what's been intriguing over the past five or six years is that there's kind of been this tone that was set in the very beginning at the very top. And we've created this culture that kind of selfs police. And if you're in soul and you walk into dugout mugs and you try to work for us, well, first off getting us hiring is unlikely, but like if it ac- accidentally does happen and it creeps into what we've built as the foundation of our culture, you're not lasting for more than a week there because people will just weed weed you out really quickly. They'll come and say, Hey, this isn't a good fit. And then what ends up happening is we grow. And as we grow, as we grow, 
that all gets self-policed and just good, more good people just continue to pile into us. And it just becomes more of just a, a machine that just hums. Yeah. I mean, I'm really, really blessed and fortunate that we have assembled what feels like just kind of a group of just like gritty outcasts that, but we all just get along and it's just like, it just works. So yeah, I'm really proud of what we've built on as far as the team goes. That's great. I see you also hires, you hired a Vietnam veteran who's the head of your laser technician. So, uh, you know, that's, you know, thank him to me. Thank him for his service from us. How, how much fun are you having there? Yeah, I'm having a ton of fun. It, it, it's, it's a hard balance of things of like, uh, it's a constant battle with grip strength. I want to have, I want to have a ton of fun, but at the same time, uh, you got to keep your eye on the ball, so to speak. So I don't want to grip the business so tight that I choke it and it suffocates, but I also don't want to loosen it, loosen my grip so much that it just kind of just flutters away as much as I like want to step back and have more fun in the moment. I'm still really, really dedicated and almost to a fault sick about just growing a business profitably. And that that's usually what takes the front seat to anything and everything else. And both can exist. I assume like you can have fun and you can be wildly profitable, but I haven't found that perfect, that perfect blend yet. Are you always looking for new ideas? Um, Ideas in the sense of like looking for ways of diversifying our, uh, our channels or diversifying ways of getting the product in front of people at a really cheap cost ideas in that, that sense, uh, as far as like product ideas for the time being, uh, I think we have a product mix right now. We might do a few more things with the stainless steel side of things, but I think we're at a product mix right now that we should just get really down and dirty on just getting really deep into what we have. And if we keep adding products to the mix and getting wider and wider, I think it's going to slow us down. Uh, I think we're ready to just go into hyperspeed of just going really, really deep. It looks like the metal fat mugs are perfect for the car. Oh yeah, yeah. That's that's the that was the thing is like nobody's taking the wood mug anywhere. You know, it's either on a shelf or they're bringing it out for the big game. Like I like I was saying, mm. uh, it's it's staying home. What we hope to accomplish with the metal mug is the travel ball parent or the travel ball kid can take that into the dugout or take it onto a, to a road trip, to a, to a baseball tournament or something like that. And we hope to really crack that code and kind of get rid of the beer centricness that our, that our companies had. And hopefully the metal mugs able to do that. I I'm just wondering uh, when you're going to go on shark tank and <laughs> Mark Cuban's going to offer to buy the whole company, <laughs> which he's been known to do. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. You know, <laughs> maybe you never know. Yeah, I mean, I I can imagine you go from this idea to now, like you said, you you've got a major staff now. You have people that are, you know, relying on this company to basically it's their livelihood. So I could definitely see, you know, when Jeff asked you about fun and everything. I could see trying to find a balance between the two because you are now Mr. Business, you know, and, but at the same time, I get the feeling that you like to just be mellow and just let the business, let people have 
at these mugs, which are quite incredible. They really are. Uh, they're really nice to look at. I got to tell you. Appreciate that. Yeah. It, 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 it's not in my nature to micromanage anybody. I, I want everybody to be themselves within the company. And uh, I think that helps with growth whenever you don't have to constantly give directions, you kind of just give people direction and then they uh, then trust that they're going to go in the, in the right direction of things. So, yeah, I, uh, I would, I would definitely say that I, I give enough, enough of a leash, but also, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really, really dedicated to doing this right and doing things with excellence and that kind of, I hope that rubs off on, on people that are, that are involved in helping grow the, grow the company. And also, you, Jeff, you were talking about the quotes, right? Randall's quote is is very apropos. It's not about what it is; it's about what it can become. Doctor Seuss. Yes. <laughs> and I and and you know, I look at a baseball bat, and I just see a baseball bat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Randall, before we let you go, uh, I mentioned the website dugoutmugs.com. Do you have Instagram, Tik, Twitter? What, what are your other social media? Yeah, we're we're active on Twitter and Instagram, Facebook. Not so much TikTok. It's going to be a new thing that we're going to we're going to try to dabble in, and also LinkedIn. Uh, we're, we're there, all all under Dugout Mugs. If you just search Dugout Mugs, you'll be able to find us. Well, I want to thank you for your time. I encourage everyone to check out the website, order these these mugs. I mean, they're just beautiful. And you know, like Randall said, it could be a decoration. You can use it as a, as a, as a cup. The custom mugs, the metal mugs, you know, used for the car. So we wish you the best of luck. Thank you for coming on, for, on, on with us. Yeah, thank you, guys. Have a great night. Good night. Thank you very much, Randall. Thank you, Randall Thompson. I only wish. There was once, there was once an author, and he, he, he read a book. And the biggest compliment that he could give that author, and I can't remember who it was exactly, somebody will know, but he said, I wish I had written that. Well, with Randall Thompson, I wish I had thought of that. Exactly. <laughs> you can go to their website, dugoutmugs.com, and you can see their selection they have it for every team, including the Cleveland Guardians. So they're, they're up to date with all their merchandise. Wow. So they have even the Cleveland Guardians merchandise so check them out dugoutmugs.com you know check out the website they do customing they have metal bat mugs they have them gifts under 30 dollars. check it out you, you you won't be disappointed well jeff i'm not disappointed that we had this show I, that was that was a terrible segue wasn't it you won't be disappointed <laughs> i'm not disappointed right. i am disappointed at one thing is that we have to say goodbye yes we do so this particular episode, which is episode 113, would like to just say thank you to all of our listeners. Thank you to our guests. We will be back before the new year. Of course, we will have a, another episode at least before the year ends. But I just thought I would say thank you to everyone. Just in that kind of spirit. You're making me tear up. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? like to thank the poet, Shel Krakowski, the musician, Dave Dresser, because they have written not only our intro song, but this song, Ace and Bobo, which we are going to go out with. Everyone, we'll see you on episode 114. See ya.